Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Let's do a little bit of recap on these enabling gifts with the help of Lisa. There have been four gifts that we have been talking about, uh, faith, discernment, knowledge, and wisdom. All four you have as a Christian, and they are spiritual, again, capacities. That doesn't mean as soon as I accept Christ that I'm at full ball in all of them, but they're capacities I have that I can grow beyond nature, natural like knowledge or natural wisdom. So we're looking at these four, and they all work together to empower these the spiritual gifts. And I'm not going to go through the three that we covered so far, faith, discernment, knowledge. Uh, if you've missed those, again, feel free to uh, go back to our YouTube channel or our Facebook book or our uh, website and be able to pick those up. But just for common ground today, I'm just going to recap the, the definitions of the three that we have and then give you the fourth one. So, again, remember, faith is assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things unseen. So that's Hebrews 11.1. 1, that's the definition of faith. It is I'm moving forward because I absolutely believe in the promises of God. I'm moving forward because I absolutely believe he's got me in his hands. That is a gift that we grow within to be able to do these supernatural gifts. Discernment is the ability to judge well between right and wrong. Is this of God? Is this not of God? Um, is this person being truthful? Is this person got malicious intent behind what they're saying to me or what they're talking to me about? It is a spiritual understanding beyond just kind of, ah, oh, just got a weird intuition. It's the, the Holy Spirit taking and leading us into discerning and seeing what's God and what's not as things come our way. The third one that we talked about last week was knowledge. And you remember that I took knowledge and moved it in front of wisdom kind of at the last minute. And you'll, you'll see why in a moment. But knowledge is to supernaturally know something that you could not possibly know from natural. No one told you. You weren't around when that happened. But the, the, you, the, you get a word of knowledge or a word of understanding or a direction um, on how, how to, to be at a particular place or a particular person to reach out to. That is from the Spirit. It doesn't make sense otherwise. And then the one that we're going to be covering today, and this will make sense why we had to do knowledge first, wisdom is to supernaturally know how to handle knowledge. That's what wisdom does. It, it teaches us how to handle the knowledge that God gives to us. <clears throat> now, for those who were here last week, we looked at, each week we're looking at a different example from the heroes of our faith through the Scripture. And we looked at uh, Jesus and the woman at the well last week, and it, it gives us a great launching pad to know the difference between knowledge and wisdom. If again, if you went through that study, the, the knowledge was where Jesus was to be and when, so that he was meeting with that particular person. The knowledge was to um, be able to engage her with, uh, within a particular way that made her interested. The knowledge was that she had been married several times before in a culture where that was unacceptable. Uh, and that she was currently living with a man that she was not married to. All of those things were the knowledge aspects that we saw within it. The wisdom aspects that you saw within Jesus and the woman in the well is him coming in a way that he was in need to. Does that make sense? Like he, he was tired and he wanted water. Can you help me to be able to engage her instead of just going, hey, I know that you're a sinner and you need Jesus. There's there, there a smoke that came in. The knowledge helped him handle that wisdom in a particular way. The knowledge, uh, the wisdom was to use living water as an example. 
um, to, for her to be able to understand the truth that she needed to have. Uh, the wisdom, again, is him waiting to build interest and to build rapport before he dropped the, hey, why don't you go get your husband? The, it, it, it came in a particular way that he handled that knowledge to be able to reach her in the community around her. So that's how it kind of in a place within our life, too. It's one thing to have the knowledge. It's another on how we present it and, and, and make sure that we're following the spirit in that. So we're going to look at another example today as well. Uh, anybody want to guess what wisdom is going to be who that is? Solomon. Uh, if you didn't guess Solomon, it's just because he, that's what he's famous for. Uh, Solomon's the most wise person, period, outside of Jesus. And we're going to pick up his testimony on how that happened. Uh, in the high, highs and the lows of his wisdom. So if you would, let's go to First Kings chapter 3. It's in the Old Testament. Um, again, version is up and running. If you use the version app, you can look up local events and you'll see TSF in today's date. And that'll give you all the scripture and place to take notes, all those fun things. And then there's Bibles and the baskets underneath the chairs around the room that you can keep or still. Uh, usually, just as a joke, they could tell you what page number it is on my Bible as if that would help you. But I got a new Bible for preaching. And this thing is huge. I thought, I, I like to get giant print because it's easy to read up here and I can make little notes and stuff in it. I, this is like giant, 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 oh my goodness, giant T-Rex Bible. It's, it's huge, huge. Yeah, no, when I'm up here and you got the lights and stuff, it really does come in handy. But I will say this, page 678. Okay. If you happen to have the same Godzilla Bible that I do here. Um, okay, so I told you to go three. I'm going to read a couple of things from two just to um, give you a little bit of information about Solomon because he's, he's famous for a lot of things. Uh, wisdom by, by far is within that, but he was also the son of King David, who's the most popular king that we, we know, and he took over after David died. So I want to read just a little bit about that. Again, David was uh, a guy that made... God very happy, did great things, followed the statutes, screwed up majorly, um, and came back to the Lord. And so he has been king over this time, and we have a great breadth of information about him in Second Samuel and 1 Samuel. Uh, but it's his time. It's his time. So chapter uh, 2, verse 1 tells us that when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go uh, the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." Great last words, great last advice. Uh, this is a truth that continues to repeat itself over and over again in his testimony. Uh, it's a truth that repeats itself in our, our world today, that if you follow God's statutes and his way instead of what seems right to me or what seems good in the moment or taking a shortcut, it leads us to a much better plateau to stand upon instead of the the crap that we always keep getting ourselves into. So great last words, uh, except for that he doesn't finish there, and his last words actually come off a little bit more bitter. Um, verse 8 of chapter 2, he's talking to Solomon still, and says, there is also with you, uh, and I'm going to guess some of these names, you guys know how I am with this, uh, there's, there's also with you Semi, what does it call him, Shemi, uh, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite from blah, 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 
who cursed me with a grievous curse on that day when I went to Manhattan. But when he came down, when he came down to meet me in the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. Did you see that? You are a wise man. You would know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to soul, which is their uh, version in the Old Covenant of hell. So his actual last words are a little bitter, a little upset. This particular testimony that he's talking about is in the scripture. You can go back and read it. Uh, when, the, when the Shemi guy was cursing at David, and they didn't have a great start, but within that story, David said, I will never kill you. He made a vow, never kill you. What he's saying to Solomon here is, but I never said you wouldn't kill him. It's basically what the word is. You're wise. So from a human standpoint, David recognizes that Solomon has wisdom. He's only 20 years old at this point. You have wisdom. You'll know what to do with this. And as you go through, the first thing you're going to notice before we get to chapter 3 is that Shemi is dead. That he does die. But it's not like the movies where... As soon as David died, Solomon goes, okay, let's go take this out on this punk over here. There's actually thought behind how he gives Shemi a second chance, how he gives him an opportunity to see if he would submit to his lordship or not. And he doesn't after a couple of years, and then that leads to his death. So even, even in the way they handled his father's request, there was worldly wisdom. And so he's already got that foundation there. Does that all make sense? Okay, so that's going to lead us up to chapter 3. Verse, uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 3. <clears throat> and we're going to read a little, not talk a lot. Uh, I'm going to leave all the commentary as much as I can at the end like I did last week. But I do think we need to understand the story well to get the points of how we can live today. So uh, chapter 3, verse 3, also Solomon's mom is Bathsheba, if you guys remember Bathsheba. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and asked, uh, and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. So he's basically setting him up for a little bit of a test. You got Gibeon, uh, you got, he's following da David's instructions. He's following the Lord. He's going to the high place. He's done a thousand offerings. A thousand off. I think Glenn and I was talking about this the other day, you know, yesterday or something. But like, I don't know how many times you pray and you're not getting the answer that you want, that you start getting frustrated. He's done a thousand offerings, not asking anything, just because he wants to honor his God. And after these thousand, God shows up and says, ask me something and I'll give it to you. This is, this is the Aladdin moment in the Bible. You ask me and I'll give it to you. And it's a test. Make sure you don't miss it. It's a test because most kings would... Taken, um, ask for long life, riches, power. That's not what Solomon does here. Solomon says back to him, you, shall, uh, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards him. See how it, keep, it keeps repeating. It keeps repeating. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given his son a sit, uh, to sit on the throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out. I do not know how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. 
Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I might discern, they all work together, for who is able to govern this, your great people. What you see in this test is a humble guy, a very humble man. He's still 20, and, and again, that, that doesn't even compare to all 20 because they had shorter lives back back at this, this point. But um, he's still 20, and when I was 20, I was cocky as I'll get out. Uh, the, I was in modal, right? Um, I could do anything, and I was right. But Solomon knows. No, I'm just kidding. But Solomon knows that he is looking at trying to fill his dad's shoes, and he has no clue how to do that. How do you follow the great King David? And he know, it's not where he's walking in saying, look, I've been, I've been boned for this my entire life. I can do this. I've seen my dad do this. I bet I can do it better than dad. He comes in saying, this is your people. It's not my people. I can't even number them. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how to do this. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Help me because I am about to poop my pants. That's his humility that's before God. So in verse 10, it says, Please the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before, and none like you will ever arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked. I will give you riches. I will give you honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, repeat it again, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. The reason we follow his commands is not because he's a bully, but because he knows better than I do. And if I follow his ways, he wants to give me freedom and safety, right? So he gets what he asked for. He gets more than what he asked for. And then the author immediately gives us an example of what this looks like. Verse 16. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O Lord, uh, O my Lord, this woman who I and, and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then three days later, after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we all were alone. There was nobody else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight, and she took my son from beside me, while your servant slept, and laid him on her breast, and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king for him to make a determination. How do you determine that? I mean, if you're going by American law, there's no way to really figure this one out outside of DNA, right? I mean, it, it's a he said, or she said, she said, nobody else is there, there's no witnesses. It's a, it's a you, you lose this battle every time. But, 23, the king said, the one says that this is my son is alive and your son is dead. The other one says, no, but your son is dead and my son is alive. Listen, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king, and the king said, Cut the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. If you've not heard the story before, by the way, this is a great bedtime story for the kids. <laughs> okay, so, so cut him in two. Give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. 
But the other said, He shall neither be mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of that judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. What did he know? He knows that the one that has the living child loves that child. That's knowledge. He knows that the one, if you're so jacked up that you can take your dead child and switch it with the living child and then lie about it, that you're probably not the most compassionate person in the, in the town. So how does he handle it? Wisdom. Cut the child in two. We'll give you half and half. This is easy enough. And then he watches their response, and we find that justice prevails. That's how wisdom works with knowledge. If you go to chapter 429, it kind of gives us great summary of how things went from there um, <clears throat> and just some interesting points about him that I, I want you to have on your table. Uh, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of, the, of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan and Heman, and that person, and this person, and that person, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that was in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts, and of birds, and of reptiles, and of fish, and I'm sure of bees for Amanda's sake. And pe people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who heard his Hood of his wisdom. 3,000 proverbs. Most of those you can find where? Proverbs. Here's scripture talking about scripture. Uh, Psalms. Not all the Psalms are, are Solomon's. As a matter of fact, I believe only two of the Psalms that we have record of in the canon scripture are Solomon's. But he wrote 1,005 of them. Now, there is, and I, I'm saying this lightly because I've not really checked it out too in depth. There is a book called the uh, Psalms of Solomon that uh, are not canon, so they, they, but they are from, the first, uh, from before the 4th century, before Christ's time. And so many believe that those are Psalms that he wrote, but again, might, might be, might not be. Uh, he spoke of trees from the cedar that's in Lebanon and the hyssop that grows by the wall. What are you talking about there? Oh, this is a Bible trivia. Anybody know? Song of Solomon. Or the Song of Songs, you might have it in your scripture, depending on what they call it. But the Song of Solomon is a very poetic, very sappy, very uh, weird in some cases because of the metaphors that he uses. But it defines his love for his beloved. And in turn, it defines uh, God's love for us. So it's talking about scripture as well. That we, we do have a record of that in our canon scripture. All this came out of this guy because he decided he wanted wisdom more than long, long life. Um, so <clears throat> a couple of pointers for our note takers. Oh, no takers. First one. I'll give you three, and then we're going to talk about some additional scripture. We'll give you some more points. Wisdom divides falsehood like a sword. I don't think that that particular example is in the scripture by accident. I don't think a single word is in the scripture by accident. It is there because it, when you bring wisdom in with the knowledge behind it, the way the, the Spirit is guiding you to do it, falsehood just melts away. If you're in a situation where it just seems like it's a lot of shadows and a lot of gray, there's no black and white. If you're in a situation where it seems like no matter what you do, people still talk about you, people still trash on you, um, and there's falsehoods being spoken about you, 
Uh, if you're in a situation with uh, helping some people in your family or your relationships and it's just mucky and it's overwhelming, pray for wisdom. Get into God's ways. Bring that into that picture because falsehood will melt away. It, it gets separated out, which means the second point is hand in hand with it, which is that wisdom guides people to the truth. If you look at the woman at the well, it took everything else away in a very short amount of time of her entire life to see the truth of the gospel. For Sodom with this baby took everything else away to reveal who the true mother was. Falsehood falls away and it leads us to the truth of what God has for us. When we receive our knowledge from God and we let the wisdom of the Holy Spirit guide us in how we handle things. Does that make sense? Uh, <clears throat> and and I'll, I'll say this. And I'll use this as an example, and it's not because, you know, I'm all that or whatnot, but um, I was thinking about examples in my life, and I think it does happen in church all the way around the world, capital C, a little church. I've been doing this for a long time. I talk to a lot of people. Um, I think these two points, wisdom, would change how you experience not your, your Bible time, which faithfully you're getting a lot more Bible time than just Sunday mornings because I'll be honest with you, it's not my job to teach you this book. It's my job to uh, equip you and send you out. Uh, and I'll never cover this whole book with you, but God has gifted you this entire book. So hopefully it's not just a Sunday morning thing. But even if we just look at it from a Sunday morning thing, I talk to people all the time that they will get knowledge on Sunday mornings. You're going to get knowledge when it comes to the Word of God, no matter how stupid I am, right? There's going to be knowledge. If I babble away, the Spirit's going to do something, you're going to get knowledge. And almost every week, there is some conviction with that. Conviction's not a bad thing. Conviction's just an invitation to come to the cross so that you can grace and conviction is gone. But it's an invitation to change. And every week, I hear people say, you know, I've been struggling with this, and you know what, I need to give up this, or I need to do that, or I need to do this. And the knowledge comes, the wisdom comes when you actually do it. And you don't find yourself in the exact same pattern week after week after year after year after decade after decade. Wisdom is taking that knowledge and applying it to your life the way the Holy Spirit would have you do it. And a lot of times we end up walking away either because it was a good lunch or we forgot what we talked about in the sermon. Or uh, it really is something I know I want to give up. But I don't want to give up that friend. I don't want to give up uh, that party. I don't want to give up this way of life. Um, this, this is really what change everything when it comes to how you receive the Word of God, but also your entire life. Does that make sense? Uh, and then number three, just so we have it on there. Wis wisdom and faith, and I, I hope you get this one. Wisdom and faith lead to action, discernment, and knowledge point the way. When you look at how the four work together, the knowledge and discernment will tell you what to do and what not to do. But if you don't have wisdom and faith, it's just going to, it's not going to go anyplace. You're going to be challenged to do, do, do stuff that you don't trust God enough to do. It's going to challenge you to do stuff that, you, that goes against your grain. It, it feels to me like I, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. I'm an American. I've got full rights. I can do whatever. I gave up my rights because he's got something better, and that's what we want to go for. So wisdom and faith will lead you to action. To so much knowledge point the way. If you don't have all four, you're going to fall flat. Does that make sense? Everybody together? Everybody get that down? I see people still writing, so I'm going to uh, sit here awkwardly. Okay, but I'm going to it's done. Let, I gave you this quote last week from Warren, uh, a quote last week from Warren Wiersbe. I want to give you another one. Oh, hey, Jen. Yep. Will you do me a favor and go in uh, my office and see if you can find uh, the spiritual gift books, either one of them? Not the assessment, but the books. Thank you. Um, 
But this is another quote of his that I liked on this topic. It says, wisdom isn't a theoretical, I tell you, I'm bad at these, idea or an abstract commodity. It's okay, it's okay, we can all read. It's very practical, it's very personal. Many people are smart enough to make a good living but aren't wise enough to make a good life. Read that again. Many people are smart enough to make a good living but aren't wise enough to make a good life, a life of fulfillment that honors the Lord. Does that make sense? So if I'm not changing anything, whatever I get from the Scripture, if I'm not following the Spirit and praying for the Spirit's lead, it all falls short. So how do you get wisdom? First one. Go ahead, Lisa. There you go. It starts with the relationship with the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's Solomon. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you are here today, or watching online, or podcast later, whatever the case may be, and you've not accepted Jesus as leader and forgiven in your life, and you're not following the Lord, let me just say, everything I just talked about is a preview of what's to come, of what you can have. Matter of fact, you, you can right now take and accept Jesus as leader and forgive your life just by talking to him, say, I need you, I pray for your forgiveness, I want to give you my life. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own way. Thank you, sweetheart. Um, whole nine yards. You could do that right now. Just ignore me, and you will have a new start, new beginning, and all of this is open to you. But it doesn't start without a relationship with the Lord. And just because you say a prayer, it is not a, okay, I said a prayer, I get to go to heaven someday, and I, I'll try to be a little bit nicer. It is, um, you can say the prayer and still not have a relationship with the Lord. The relationship with the Lord is a daily thing. It's something I lean into. It's something that, that, that you have this inner trine, that you're walking with Him, that you're in harmony with Him. doesn't mean you won't screw up. Trust me, you're going to screw up. Solomon, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll say this now. I'm sure it'll, it'll come up later. But he, he train-wrecked his life at the end. And I'll talk about those details. Uh, David train-wrecked at a point. We're all going to mess up, but we've got Christ, and we can come back to him, and we can move forward within that wisdom and knowledge. So it has to start with the relationship with the Lord. The second thing you do is this. Get in the Word. Get in the Word, whether that be youth group, adult Bible study, Sunday morning, sitting at, the, at home with the Bible or something online, right now media, whatever you want to go with. Get the Word inside you. Uh, again, Solomon, in one of his proverbs, for the Lord gives wisdom. It's from his mouth. How does he speak to us? Big old Godzilla Bibles, right? From his mouth come knowledge, and they come understanding. So get into the Word. Number three, ask God for wisdom. Sorry, I started going through puberty there for a second. Ask God for wisdom. Now I'm jumping to James on that one. Uh, James is in the New Testament. James was the half-brother of Jesus, uh, was the great bishop of uh, Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. And he talked about wisdom quite a bit in his book as well. Uh, actually, James is my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, but it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do, here's one thing to know about that, that scripture. Look at that scripture. It's not just a commandment. That's a promise. And if I have faith, I believe in that promise. So if I'm seeking his knowledge and I'm praying for wisdom, it happens period. If you're not finding wisdom and you're not and you're praying for it every day, take a little look at your knowledge and see whether or not you're living the statutes that Solomon did. Number four, 
Discern what you receive. This is the same as when we talked about prophecy. Discern what you receive. If you receive a word knowledge, wisdom, some direction, still make sure it's God. Because Satan is active, man. He's, he's, he's very, very active and really wants you to be able to go into the ditch. So, James 3.17 tells us this. The wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, then it's gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, and partial and sincere. That's the wisdom from above. If you receive wisdom and you come to me and you say, hey, I've been dealing with this person. They've been driving me nuts. God gave me a word of knowledge. I don't know just what to do. Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it open to reason? Full of mercy? Because honestly, if I look at that, David's last words didn't really come off as godly wisdom. We get caught up in our own way too. If it doesn't match the definition, you did not hear from God. Just that simple. Just that simple. And the fifth one is this. Embrace humility. Back to Solomon. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble, there's wisdom. You remember his prayer where they prayed to God? Nothing but humility. Your people, your ways, whatever you want, God. You're the one in charge. By the end of his life, Solomon was not a warrior like his dad, David. He didn't go out and fight battles. He was a treaty guy. And to do treaties back in the day when you took and made peace with other kingdoms, which was easy to do when you're the wisest man ever and all the kings want to be your friend, then you sealed it with a covenant. Do you remember covenants? You have things that you want, I have things I want, we agree on them, and then we sealed it with something tangible. And that tangible, nine out of ten times, or nine, nine out of a hundred times, was the king would marry one of the daughters of the other king. So by the time that Solomon died, he had 700 wives, which does not say the Bible says polygamy is okay because there's a ton of sin in the Bible because people mess up. He had 300 concubines, which is close enough that you could say 300 prostitutes because I guess the 700 weren't enough for the weekend. I don't know how he pulled that stuff off. Uh, and with his other wives, he started pulling in the gods of their countries, and he started mixing his Christianity, as we know it today, with all these other religions, and it all fell apart on him. And he had a massive, massive fall. A matter of fact, to the point that the next king, his son, ended up splitting the kingdoms. So Israel was no longer one but two. Why? Because of pride. Because he got to a point that he thought he could do it himself. Humility is what guides us to change. I know I should do this, but I just... Humility leads us to change. It just seems to me, nope, humility leads to change. But I really want to... If you really want to see life change, you really want to see power of the Holy Spirit in your life, faith, wisdom, knowledge, and discernment with a humble heart before you, King, so that the Spirit is able to move. The reason I had Jenny grab this, when we started this section of it, I read uh, all the, because this is the, the book that kind of guided us through the, t the team gifts. Um, when it came to enabling gifts, there was only one paragraph about enabling gifts. And I remember I kind of read it and said, well, I guess we don't need this book. You know, it's just like, like throwing it if you remember that. Uh, but I come back to that paragraph again now that we understand them. The enabling gifts are catalyst gifts that tie your spiritual qualities to your spiritual gifts. A catalyst is an agent which, when added, speeds up the process of the other agents. 
In other words, the enabling gifts speed up the process of using the team gifts, thereby making them more effective. The enabling gifts are available to all Christians and should be sought by every one of us. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.